its popularity is constantly in crescendo, from the local courts in tiny towns to the tremendous tournaments and tours, and even on the TV sets it graces all across the universe. Aces, grab your rackets and wristbands and get ready to bounce balls back and forth. We're all set to play a few sets of the smashing sport of tennis on this week's episode of FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. English. You got it. You got it. Hello, 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 and welcome to another exciting edition of FYI. I hope you guys have been enjoying all the episodes. And remember, I am all ears if you have suggestions. I always listen to my students because remember, this content is for you guys. It's not for me. So if you're not liking it or if there's something that you think I can improve on, please let me know. I would love to do that. And you can contact me via social media. I think it's the easiest way. You can find everything on my website, albertoalonso.com. And if you guys haven't rated the show yet, valorarlo, please do that because obviously that helps us get seen by more people. Now, before we get started, here's a little disclaimer. I'm not really into tennis. I have never watched a full match, and I've been to live matches, so you can just imagine what I was doing. Well, I was over at the bar. I was a little bit bored. So I guess my challenge in this episode was to fall in love with tennis. And you know what? I think it worked because I discovered all different aspects, not just the game, just like when we looked at football. Remember, there's an episode on soccer or football, call it what you like, but there's so much more than just 11 guys chasing a ball around. So the same thing with tennis. There's so much more than meets the eye, and it worked. I ended this episode at least researching it, saying this is an amazing game, and I know it's popular, and that's why I said in the intro, its popularity is constantly in crescendo. Y sé que conocéis esa palabra, pero la pronunciación es un poco diferente. Crescendo. From the local courts, las pistas locales, in tiny towns. Y ojito con esa palabra, tiny. Tiny se pronuncia. Diminuto. Tiny towns to the tremendous, el opuesto, the opposite, tremendous tournaments and Tours. Y es evidente que tournaments son torneos. And even on the TV sets, and even también en los televisores, it graces, and to grace, we've looked at this verb before, honrar. So we would say Freddie Mercury graced this stage. Es una forma poética de decir estuvo aquí, nos dejó su presencia. And then I had a Beatles reference there all across the universe. And it's true, tennis, like soccer, is popular world 
wide. And then I said aces, and an ace es un as. I said aces, grab your rackets, coge esas raquetas, and wristbands. And these aren't very popular unless you're a tennis player. But a wrist is your muñeca. And so if a headband goes around your forehead, tu frente, well, where does a wristband go? You guessed it, around your wrist. And then I said, get ready to bounce balls, botar pelotas, back and forth, de un lado para el otro. And then I had a little play on words here, another pun. I was trying to be punny. I said, we're all set to play a few sets. All set is, estamos listos, preparados, to play a few sets of the smashing sport of tennis. And there's a double meaning behind smashing, too, because smashing in British English is amazing. But also to smash something is what they do with the ball. You know, those guys like Nadal, these guys who have a really, really, really hard serve. Well, they smash the ball. So see, lots of double entendres, lots of double meanings in the intro. We didn't even get to the origin. But speaking of double entendre, which is a French word, the word tennis is a late Middle English word, which is tenets. And it comes from a similar sport called real tennis. And real being real, like Real Madrid. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. We're just talking about the etymology of the word right now. And that word, the Middle English word, tenets, came from the old French word Tenez, which is take, receive. See? Taking, receiving. And it reminds me of the expression toma idaka. It's a little give and take. And we're going to look at some idiomatic expressions that have to do with tennis in the bonus part. Plus, we're going to hear from tons of famous tennis players about speaking English. We're going to hear their take, su opinión. So we've got a lot of exciting things to do. And I just want to remind you guys that there's a bonus episode every week. There are also PDF documents with all the vocabulary, all the expressions, and all the structures therein. And you can be in weekly and monthly classes with yours truly, un servidor. And you want more? You can be a part of an amazing, curious community. So if you want more information, go over to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso and find out more. You'll have access to over 700 posts the moment you sign up. That is a lot of English content. So I want to send a shout out to all my patrons, especially my super duper students, Javier, Roberto, David, Jose Maria, Mila, Alex, and Edgar. And don't forget about my interstellar students, Isa, Paco, Diego, and Carmen. Keep up the great work. And if you guys want more information, just go over to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. As always, we're going to start by defining it because from the definition, we can get a lot of vocabulary. So before we get into things, we always like to start with the bare bones, lo esencial. So tennis is a racket sport. There are many racket sports, as you know, that can be played individually 
against a single opponent, that's called singles, or between two teams of two players, and that's called doubles. I think up to now, it's pretty self-explanatory. Then, each player uses a tennis racket that is strung with a cord. So to string something is ponerle una cuerda. And to strike a cord, this is an interesting expression, to strike a cord. I believe in Spanish you say tocar la fibra sensible. And then you use a hollow rubber ball. You strike, to strike is pegar, a hollow, hollow is hueco, rubber, goma. A hollow rubber ball covered with felt. And I believe felt is fieltro. And you strike it, you hit it over or around a net, una red, and into the opponent's court. The object of the game is to maneuver the ball in such a way that the opponent is not able to play a valid return. And the last sentence says, the player who is unable, incapaz, to return the ball validly will not gain a point, while the opposite player will. Guys, that's tennis in a nutshell. Now, I know there's much more strategy behind it, pero en resumidas cuentas, eso es el tenis. And tennis, as we know, is an Olympic sport. It's played at all levels of society, like I said, on small local courts by people of all ages. And it can be played with, I mean, you, okay, you do need a court, you do need a net, or do you? Because if you have a racket, two rackets, and a ball, you've got a little volley going on. And to volley, evidently, is darle a bolea a algo. I think we mentioned the same thing in the soccer episode. I mean, you can have goalposts, you know, una, una porteria, or you can just have two shirts, but that's not going to stop you from playing. Not having goalposts, not having a net, you can still play. You just have to agree where that imaginary net is. The modern game of tennis originated in Birmingham, England. Yeah, we don't say Birmingham, we say Birmingham. And that was in the late 19th century. It was a kind of lawn tennis, and lawn is un césped. So it was played on a lawn. And it had very close connections to other games. Games, similar games such as croquet and bowls. These are things that people played back in the day that are not as popular anymore. And that was called, as I said before, real tennis or royal tennis. And historians believe that the game's ancient origin, even before that, comes from 12th century northern France. So the the modern game, I guess you can say 19th century, but the roots, the inspiration for the modern game is 12th century northern France, where they played a game where a ball was struck, there's that word strike again, with the palm of your hand. Does that sound familiar? Handball. That's still played to this day. Well, in France, it was called Jeu de Pomme, the game of the palm, which evolved into real tennis. And real tennis developed into the tennis we have today. Louis X of France, well, he was very notable because he was unhappy with playing tennis 
outdoors, al aire libre. So he had an indoor court built. This was in the 13th century in Paris. And his idea spread like wildfire. Before you knew it, you started seeing all the royal palaces have their own tennis courts. And they look nothing like the tennis courts we know today. In fact, the early ones, they were not rectangular. They had the shape of an hourglass, you know, like that kind of guitar shape. But an interesting thing is that the rules haven't changed very much, at least since the 1890s, with two exceptions, two major exceptions. The first one is that until 1961, the server had to keep one foot on the ground at all times. Hey, that sounds like the pivot foot in basketball. And then the other one was the adoption of the tie break in the 1970s. Y de ahí aprendemos empate o empatar, to tie. Another way we can say it is to draw. También es el sustantivo, a draw. Another thing that has changed, not so much a rule, but the technology. They have adopted this electronic review technology and a point challenge system. So tennis is one of the sports that has embraced, acogido, this technology. As we know, it took soccer a lot longer. And even now, the VAR is quite controversial. But they use a system called the hawk eye, el ojo de halcón. Oh, and speaking of hawks, there's a hawk, a Harris hawk named Rufus, a real one, who is stationed at Wimbledon to keep the sky clear of local pigeons. Yeah, you don't want any droppings on the court. And droppings are bird poop. <laughs> I don't know how to translate that more clearly. And this hawk is not your average hawk. Nope, he has more than 10,000 followers on Twitter. But you gotta watch him like a hawk. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to use the expression, hay que vigilarle de cerca. All right, well, we're going to hear more about Wimbledon later. In fact, we're going to hear from a friend of mine. Many of you might know her. Her name is Simena Holiday. She's written many books. She has a radio show. She's one of my greatest friends and one of the best teachers I've ever met. And she worked as a ball girl in Wimbledon. But we're going to hear from her a little bit later on. Let's take a look at the governing body. The governing body, the ones who look after the rules of the game and the dress code, which I know is very important in tennis as well. This is called the International Tennis Federation. As I said, I'm learning things. I didn't know those initials. So there's another thing that I learned in this episode. Another thing I learned, tennis has four Grand Slam tournaments. Now I know what you're thinking. Alberto, you didn't know that? I told you. Tennis is not my cup of tea. So I didn't know that. No, there are four Grand Slam tournaments. They're also referred to as the majors and they are especially popular. The Australian Open, which is played on hard courts. The French Open, which is played on red clay courts. Wimbledon, which is played on grass courts. And the US Open, 
which is also played on hard courts. So see, there's some information I'm sure many people who follow tennis know. But let's pretend that there are some people listening today, and I'm sure there are, that know nothing about tennis. They know jack about tennis. And to know jack about something is no saber ni papa. Okay, tennis buffs, here's a trivia question for you. What is the oldest major championship? Did you say Wimbledon? You got it. I think that was an easy one, though, especially if you're a tennis fan. That's right. The Wimbledon Championships, which is almost synonymous with tennis, is the oldest tennis tournament in the world. It's also considered to be the most prestigious. And that was in 1877. In 1881, the U.S. Open was founded. The French Open in 1891, and the last one of the major ones, the Australian in 1905. But there's no doubt that when you think of tennis, Wimbledon is the word. And as promised, we are going to hear from my friend now, my friend Simena Holiday, who was a ball girl at Wimbledon. And let me tell you how cutthroat this is. Cuán competitivo es. Only 250 young kids are selected every year to serve at the tournament. And, well, they use an estimated 54,250 tennis balls per tournament. So you do the math. But either way, let's hear from Simena. Hello, Alberto. Hello, FYIers. How are you all doing? I hope very well. And yes, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my, well, my greatest claim to fame, being a Wimbledon ball girl in 1999. Ah, there's been nothing better since. <laughs> it was, no, honestly, it was the greatest two weeks of my life. It was so much fun. We were, well, we were selected. Uh, you were able to take part in the school trials to take part in Wimbledon and I was selected to to be a ball girl at Wimbledon and well the training itself was very very intense very demanding um, so to get through that it was already an achievement and then to actually be able to walk out onto those courts and be part of well really history um, it was the most amazing feeling unfortunately I was not selected for uh, center court or the uh, court number one due to me not actually fully understanding the tie break <laughs> which is you know quite fundamental in tennis and yeah I completely messed up the um, so I threw the balls I rolled the balls to the wrong side of the court during the tie break and the man in charge Willie I'm pretty sure something like Willie Wonka Willie something looked at me and was just like no relegated you're relegated to court 19 which is pretty much where I stayed throughout the two weeks but actually court 19 that's that's like the cool courts that's the fun ones you don't have to take it all so seriously there's not so much pressure and um it was wonderful so yeah two weeks of sunshine um meeting loads of new people people from around the world coming to visit the championships obviously the tennis players um got a very black knee because i was at the center of the court you know they're called like the centers and so you kneel down on one knee and run out whenever the ball comes towards you. And my knee was completely black for, a, what, about a year after. It wouldn't come out. It was ingrained, all the dirt. Um, but, yeah, we got we got paid £90. So that works out at approximately, what, 10p an hour? 
it was worth every penny. Uh, no, but I would have done it for free. It was obviously just such a privilege to be selected and to be there. And on Court 19, as it rained a lot in 1999, we did actually get um, some famous players on our court. I got to ball girl for the Goran Ivanisevic versus Todd Martin match, which was very exciting. Although Goran Ivanisevic got so angry that he uh, threw down, chucked down his racket. It rebounded onto my head. So, yeah, another claim to fame there. Um, my friend also, she got onto centre court and Boris Becker did like an, a 100 mile an hour serve or however fast they are. And it hit her leg. So, you know, she felt very, um, very proud <laughs> despite the pain. Yes. So Wimbledon is a magical place. Honestly, if you're ever around in London in June, I completely recommend you do the queues. You can buy day tickets by queuing up pretty early, but um, they're very reasonably priced considering how much you can see. And go along and enjoy the atmosphere, the strawberries and cream. There's uh, Henman Hill that I think has been renamed Murray's Mound or something like that. And it's just a fascinating place, a place full of history and culture. And yeah, I have very, very, very many happy memories from my time at Wimbledon. Anyway, thank you for letting me go down memory lane and reminisce Alberto. And as I said, get to Wimbledon when you can. Thank you so much, Simena. That was not only informative, it was also funny. What an experience it must have been. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Wimbledon, and then we're going to hear from another famous person. Well, yeah, Simena Holiday is famous in my world, in the Vaughn world, but we're also going to hear from Nadal in just a little bit. But let's wrap up talking about Wimbledon. Did you guys know this? Perhaps you knew it. Perhaps this is trivia that everybody knows, but I didn't know this. The winner's trophy at Wimbledon remains on display at the All England Clubs Museum. Why? Because the winners don't take it home. What? I won the trophy and I can't take it home? Nope. You get a little replica. You don't get the original. And it's a small replica. It's a tiny one, to use the word we used at the beginning. But don't worry, I'll give you more fun facts in the bonus part of today's show. Also, a player is said to have won a career Grand Slam if they win all four majors at any time during their career. So that's called a career Grand Slam. A non-calendar year Grand Slam is if they win four majors consecutively, but not in the same year. And a Grand Slam is if they win all four majors in a single year. And if you remember from our baseball episode, a Grand Slam is a good thing in baseball too. And I'm sure you know this as people who are learning English, but English is the official language of the tennis tour. And many players find it indispensable to at least know the basics in order to get by, not just in a press conference, una rueda de prensa, but also in an interview or if they need to talk to one of the umpires. So as promised, we're going to hear from Rafa Nadal right now. And what he says is that not knowing English was good fun because he didn't care about making mistakes. But he says 
it's not good. So that's amazing. Somebody who didn't really speak English is being punny, is being funny in English. No, está usando juegos de palabras. Listen to it at the end. He says, not knowing English was good fun, but not good. It's brilliant. Nice job, Rafa. Let's hear what Rafa has to say about learning English. For me, it was much more fun before. <laughs> I... <laughs> I don't care about what I was saying and <laughs> just <laughs> I only had a few words and <laughs> that's it. So it was fun not knowing English. It was good fun, but was not good. <laughs> what a great sense of humor he has. And you can see it if you check out his earlier videos. His English has improved tremendously. Another guy who loves languages, Djokovic. Now, he's a self-described lover of languages. He speaks Serbian, English, French, German, and Italian fluently. He can also speak an additional six languages. Those are Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, Russian, Portuguese, and Japanese. So you could say that this guy really loves languages. And we're going to hear from him in the bonus episode today. But we're going to wrap up this first part with a quote from Arthur Ashe, who was the first American, the first, excuse me, the first African American to win the U.S. Open. This was in 1968. And I thought this was a great quote for language learners. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Guys, I hope you'll join us in the bonus part. Right now, the ball is in your court. El balón está en tu tejado. I sure hope you'll join us in the bonus part of today's FYI.